Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. I'm joined on the line by Hayley Haynes, the director of No Vacancy Gallery, who joins to chat about the exhibition Still Life. Hayley, a very good morning to you. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show. Now, this is obviously a new online exhibition because No Vacancy, like the rest of Melbourne, is locked and shuttered at the moment. But it's an exhibition of work. There's, what, over 60 artists involved, and they've presented images of work that provides comfort and stillness of mind. Yeah, that's right. So this Still Life exhibition is actually the second of our lockdown projects that have been ultimately designed to distract, inspire and engage our creative community and followers. And the first one was Metamorph, which is actually still live till the end of the month. But this was all about transformation and resilience, whereas this time around, as we entered our second lockdown and the pandemic was really settling in, I wanted to encourage people to find something concrete within their immediate surroundings that they could focus on that could provide them with comfort and stillness and something something that was very simple and accessible and obviously playing on the word still in still life and also the idea that, you know, despite everything that's going on in the world, this is still life and there's still beauty to be found. So there's, there's the hope, of course, that in completing these works, the participants would find some stillness and then also as viewers, as, as a large part of the project is storytelling and highlighting to us that despite all being quite isolated at the moment, this is a really shared experience of mass vulnerability. And I know for me, reading through all the, the stories and statements, it helps me find comfort and feel less alone through it all. Well, certainly just looking at the work online, uh, I love the fact that, yes, there are snapshot moments, for example, that will could just be part of everybody's day, a, a mug of coffee on a window ledge, for example. Uh, so there's that sense that looking at the works will, as you say, kind of resonate, provide uh, a sense of connection in isolation. There are other works which are much more playful. There's uh, some photographic work, for example. I, traditional still life, yes, I might expect to see fish or flowers or bottles or fruit on a table, but not necessarily a man holding a bunch of flowers and a pumpkin. Yeah, yeah, the, the response has been brilliant. And as you said, you know, there, there's certainly some more traditional works to be expected. And then, you know, there's, there's pieces like, Matthew's work, Matthew Schiavello's work that you just described, and there's, you know, an amazing resin cheese jaffle by Wendy Johns, which speaks to nostalgic comfort food. And there's also a, a mini acrylic installation by Jen Darcy that's called Lounge Suite, S-W-E-E-T, that depicts her lounge chair on a, a rug of chocolate and hundreds of thousands with her digital comforts. And, you know, it's in, all encased in this kind of acrylic little, almost like a little tank that has a kind of eerie sense of artifice to it which is quite interesting and then an, another piece that I really love is it's a very simple drawing by Marcus Oliver which is called Target Shoe Rack with Apocalyptic Background and you know he says I'll just read his little statement actually he says during such a strange time strange insular time 
many once overlooked objects in my apartment have taken on a weird significance and I find myself staring at this shoe rack quite often as a way to calm myself and block out the outside world. And I really love this because it kind of shows that stillness can be found anywhere or, you know, in in anything. And there's this quote floating around that says, those who look for flowers will find them. And I like to think that the same goes for stillness. Now, one of the things that intrigues me about the exhibition is, yes, that opportunity to ask artists to pause, to reflect, to to almost embody a sense of calmness in their work. So that's there. And I also like the fact that historically a, a still life could, have, could be seen as, A, it, it's often perceived, thought of perhaps more as as and historical artefact rather than a form of contemporary art expression. But clearly, as we can see from the artists uh, at the No Vacancy website, which is www.no-vacancy.com.au, this is a very contemporary, still very vibrant form of uh, artistic expression. Yeah, absolutely. And you see, you know, there's a couple of video works in the show which use, for example, a piece by Caitlin Royce, which uses fruit and vegetables, which are common in traditional still life works, but it's presented in such a, a contemporary way where it's, it's this really emotive, quite surreal video that it's very dreamy, but expresses frustration as well. And yeah, it's really exciting to see, you know, we kind of intentionally put a very simple, accessible theme out there. Because I think particularly during these times of distress, people like to be told what to do and keep it quite simple but the responses that have come from that because it's so simple are really exciting. As you say again there's the simplicity the there's something about being given a set of instructions I sometimes find that like being given uh, a deadline being given a brief to respond to that encourages kind of at first it may feel constrictive and the the traditions of a still life may feel constrictive but it enables kind of really often significant personal expression and works of real beauty as well lucy wood's work for example which is simply a box of matches and a few matches on a, a piece of paper kind of is something so elegant and so beautiful about such a, a simple piece of work partially because what you can read into the fact that some of the matches are, have been lit and others not yeah, yeah, that's such a such a beautiful piece. And, you know, it's really great to have Lucy in the show as well because she's actually located over in Dubai. So that's, you know, that's one of the great things about having the show online is that whilst predominantly our audience is in Victoria, Lucy, who's relocated over there, she's still able to be involved and we have some interstate artists as well. And that deeply personal nature of work is then also expressed in the piece by Natalie Fernandez as well, who yeah. kind of, who says that her, her brother died from COVID in South Africa. She's in Australia. She can't go to him. So the idea of then reflecting on on absence of object as well as the objects in this case the flowers that have been sent to her as a, a gesture of sympathy again that the kind of tension that exists within that image is really fascinating yeah that's a really special piece and and you can see in the image there's some of the flowers they're they're just silhouettes and so you're absolutely right that it really speaks to that sense of absence and when you speak of comfort looking for comfort in these things she wasn't able to be there with her brother in South Africa she wasn't able to receive any visitors 
here in Victoria and she was sent flowers. And so I imagine painting these flowers has been a part of the grieving process and also just helped her connect to the people that have sent them to her and just find some comfort in that, hopefully. Now, you say on the website that you hope that members of the public and members of the No Vacancy community viewing these works, that you hope they will find some stillness amongst the chaos of life. Is that a realistic expectation given the way we've been trained to view works digitally. Too often we click on an image, look at it for a moment and move on to the next one. Do you hope that as people are browsing these images that they will genuinely pause, slow, kind of think more meditatively to contemplate the work in front of them rather than rush through the exhibition? Yeah, I hope so. I really do hope so. And obviously it's it's very challenging having it online and that was something that you know, we had to take into consideration when choosing the number of works because I was very aware of how much screen time we all have and conscious of the scrolling nature of it and having works down the bottom, not wanting them to be missed out. But I hope even if people aren't spending huge amounts of time online with the works, I hope that at the very least seeing these stories and seeing these images might help make them reconsider their own surroundings and find the things within their space that they might have, you know, if they were to create a work that they would focus on and that bring them comfort. Has the work and the exhibition brought you any comfort at this time? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, it's it's kept me connected with, with these people and, and with, with the gallery. It's, it's been challenging to be working off-site all the time and reading through all the stories. And there's a, there's a beautiful one, actually, that... Um, that I was quite moved by and it's a very, I think it's quite understated painting by Bianca Luacono and it's just, it's two pieces of fruit and in her statement she writes, as you sit there I think about eating you but then I look closer and you are so damn beautiful that I simply forget and I just thought that was so beautiful and just that line with that image has brought me a lot of joy. <laughs> and certainly for me, looking at the art at home this morning and again now, the sheer fact that artists have responded in such a broad way and such a with a different array of mediums and emotions and thoughts to the fairly simple brief of give us a, a, a contemporary still life, everything from sculptural works through to photographic arrangements of objects which have then been played with digitally or a, a simple work of blossoms in a vase. There's kind of such a a beautiful array of contemporary expression and really kind of thoughtful, kind of beautiful work in this collection of works. Yeah, and very generous. With with these last two projects, they've been deep, I mean, I I guess this could be applied to all art, but deeply personal responses. And I think when, particularly at this time, when people are very generous with, with sharing how they're feeling at the moment and their vulnerability it how it I do find that really comforting and again makes me feel less alone in my own vulnerability the exhibition still life is now showing until the 10th of December at no vacancy gallery which due to lockdown you can experience the exhibition online so it's www.no hyphen vacancy.com.au forward slash still 
hyphen life. So just go to no-vacancy.com or no-vacancy.com.au and the Still Life exhibition works by over, over 60 artists and I definitely recommend that kind of open one and let it sit on your, in, on your desktop for a while. Just don't flick through them all straight away. Find an image that resonates with you and just sit and, and view and think about it and let a little bit of that stillness come into your own life as well. Hayley Haynes is the Gallery Director of No Vacancy. Hayley, thanks so much for joining us on Triple R. Thank you very much, Richard. It's time for us to have an art attack. Art attack, 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 attack. Is the name of our fortnightly visual arts review segment, and one of the Art Attack team, Ace Wagstaff, joins us on the line now. Ace, a very good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm alive and kicking, so that's always yeah. a good start. And yeah, I'm, right. I'm looking happily at seeing the uh, viral count come down. So that's positive and hopeful. So feeling good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, still warm as the blood that courses through these veins, and uh, yeah. Breathing that sweet, sweet spring air that's uh, filled with pollen and all sorts of other lovely things that remind us that we're still alive. Well, hopefully the face mask we're wearing will uh, protect us from the pollen. But you can't obviously go out and see an exhibition, but I believe you've been looking at something online. I have, I have. I've been looking at Tom Civil's new exhibition, Sparks, at Backwoods Gallery. And Backwoods Gallery is in Collingwood. But instead of going to 25 Easy Street Collingwood, because that's inaccessible at the moment, you can go to Backwards Gallery online, backwards.gallery. Let me just double-check that, or perhaps... Yep, I've got that in front of me, so it it is indeed www.backwards.gallery, and the exhibition is called Sparks by Tom Civil. Oh, good, yes. I was hoping my browser wasn't just doing something odd and a bit strange, but there, there it is. So, yeah, Tom's got... A massive work online, and I should just say that it, it is kind of exciting viewing this exhibition online. Obviously, we take what we can get at the moment, but there's there's just so many other photos and, and collected data of his working spaces and you know materials and other construction and production treatises. A couple of photographs of his sketchbooks on the side and doodles next to his working. And that just makes the exhibition or makes the work is it so much more strength and vibrance. Like you really get a good sense of its its conception from his inner thoughts almost to its fruition, you know, as physical matter on this corporeal plane. Now, I haven't had much of a chance to browse this exhibition online yet, but I am familiar with Tom's work. For example, one of the kind of uh, one of the big public pieces that he's done, which is, adorns the side of sister radio station 3CR in Fitzroy. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And he, he does work on these large scales, and even when he's working on smaller scale canvases or drawings, the picture plane, the space in which the universe, in which the stick folk, as he um, affectionately calls them, inhabit, there's usually, it's usually teeming. It's just a throng of these individuals. But I think this series of works is really special because at most we might see about 50 or so of these individuals on the plane. And that makes them really quite intimate for Tom's work to, to kind of focus down and look at almost families or individual communities, which is particularly poignant at the moment. And um, did, did you say he called them... Sorry, just to jump in, Ace. Did you say he called them stick folk? 
stick folk. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to lead on to that. So if you're unfamiliar with Tom's work, he, he repeats this seemingly very simplistic, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a second as to why it's, it's not, these, these little stick figures of elongated legs and arms, a little circle for the head, and a, a little square or rectangle for the body. And everybody says, oh, that's amazing. And we hear the off-chanted, I could do that. <laughs> but really what Tom, what we see with these figures, especially in this work, I guess because they're, they're as thick as the paintbrush allows. So they, really every single individual line of these stick folk becomes a form. And these forms become masses, kind of abstracted. And we see this layering and conjoining on a separate plane above the painting of the folk. It, it's really quite beautiful and abstract in its own right. And very rarely are their individual stick folk separate from the communities or groups or gatherings. Looking at, if people haven't uh, jumped onto the, the website, backwardsgallery.com, there's an elegant simplicity about these works, but there's also, there is, as you say, there's a poignant kind of humanity to them, whether they're dancing, whether they're crouched, whether kind of it's a group of figures on the, on the plane. They're very simple, but they are kind of, at the same time, quite beautiful. When we say simple, like, there's obviously a very attuned sense of the, the human form still present in them in the way that you, you can take just four lines and give them such an animated view or give them such a sense of humanity as, as you're describing, Richard. And I think that's the real strength of Tom's work as well. And in a sense, not to jump on Broach Ty's education segment in a second, but they, they really are educative works because I'm looking at them and I'm turning them over in my mind and I'm thinking of new poses and drawing myself. So they, they kind of take on a bit of a, a, a mental role, I guess, if you're looking at them. And it's a nice segue because if you are not artistically inclined, you can definitely, you know, begin to replicate and look at the human, more, human figure as more than just like a solitary, standing, stiff, rigid stick figure. You know, you can see it as something fluid, as something jostling, as something crouched or posed or ready to spring. They have a real kineticism to them as well. But they also have yeah, a real... Sorry, again, to jump in. This is a problem yeah, with not having you sitting absolutely. opposite me in the studio. There's a real sense of not just individuality to some of them, but there's a sense of community and connection. And I am actually looking at some of these images. I'm finding them rather almost moving and poignant because there are some where the, the mass of bodies just becomes... They stop being individuals and they just become a crowd, a space, uh, uh, an environment. And I'm just thinking... It's been such a long time since I've been able to lose myself in a crowd, since I've been able to rub shoulders, sit down next to a, a group of people around a yeah. fire, for example. So there's something captured there as well. There's an emotive power to the, 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 the act of physical communication and connection that Tom is yeah. creating in these paintings. Yeah, the physical space, both, both between bodies and the way that our bodies kind of intersect and connect when we're together. And I think it's beautifully illustrated because we can look at Renaissance paintings and we can look at these marvelously sculpted, uh, you know, Bellini sculptures where, you know, forms just kind of blend into each other in the same slab of stone. But here, when we break it down to the sheer components of, of the body's mass, as Tom's done, and the, these figures kind of layering over as they intersect or sit together, there's that anonymity as well. And, and we're, we're all kind of similar at the same time. We are all part of this human race and I think that's what really 
pushes through. Each individual character is quite simple, as I said, four legs, a circle, a square. But as soon as they start to congregate and they, they become this complex, writhing, abstract mess of data and information, and, but still those individual points of humanity and expression and feeling able to be seen in the way those, those parts and pieces jostle together. Now, it's a uh, shame that we can't get in and... Well, A, it's a shame we can't get to, uh, <laughs> kind of in together to talk about these works and that we can't go to Backwards Gallery in Easy Street. Uh, hopefully, uh, the exhibition is showing online until the 20th of September and I suspect we're not going to be out and about by then because I'd love to see these images physically and up close rather than just as yeah. flat images on a screen. And they're, they're beautifully cool as well. They're very chic, I should say. Like, there's, there's each, each painting or print is, is really only three colours. So they have this sublime form and, and palette simplicity to them that, that is, is very pleasing. And if you have some COVID money, uh, <laughs> they're very affordable as well. But they look great in any space. As you can see the documentation of them hanging on the wall in Tom's studio, and they just look sublime in that messy workspace because they speak of the action and, and uh, you know, the, the creative act as well. But also you could, you could quite easily imagine them hanging on a pristine wall at home, being a part of a family or, you know, or a white cube gallery space. They really do lend themselves just extrapolating to almost any environment. They're, they're fantastic works. And I think that's where Tom sets himself apart of, you know, from that audience, that crowd that says, I could do that. Because it's not just the figures themselves, but it's the compositions that he's used as well, and they're kind of layering space on the picture plane. And Ace, as you say, it's not... uh, Also, if you go to the website for Backwards Gallery to look at Sparks, the current exhibition online by Melbourne artist Tom Civil, as well as viewing the collection, if you keep scrolling down, as Ace said earlier, there's a series of images which show works in progress, show them hanging raw in the studio versus the finished framed product and so much more. And again, so having that opportunity, which you don't necessarily get with a gallery visit, but you do online, is that opportunity to peer into the creative process of the artist as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, you can kind of see there's one particular shot of him up close and, and painting. And a lot of these works, they look like hard-edge abstraction works in their production methods. This is just me trying to backwards engineer them. But we do get this wonderful in-progress working shot of him leaning over the canvas and just going in raw with a paintbrush on the background. And, you know, that's... <laughs> That that speaks of his individual skill, I guess, that there there needs to be no kind of stenciling occurring or no edging or he everything is contained in between his hands, the medium, the brush and the paint and the picture plane. And that's that's sublime, like that's magic. So the uh, artist, as we said, is Tom Civil, C-I-V-I-L. The exhibition is called Sparks, and it's on now at Backwards Gallery, which is normally at 25 Easy Street, Collingwood. In fact, it still is. The gallery hasn't got up and moved around and <laughs> gone on holiday. The gallery is still there. We just can't go to it. But you can jump online, www.backwards.gallery, to see the current exhibition, Sparks, by Tom Civil. It's beautiful work. Ace, thank you for sharing it with us. No, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be able to share this to, to all of us in lockdown that are missing each other, that are separate from our, our families and communities, but hang in there and we will once again be sparking just like Tom Civil's stick folk. Lovely sentiment. Ace, we'll catch you in a fortnight's time. We'll see you then. Larissa Kosloff is here to chat about Radical Act.
Scripts, a video work made for Buxton Contemporary at the University of Melbourne. It's the second in the Light Source Commissions. Larissa, thanks very much for joining us at Triple R. Oh, you're welcome, Richard. So what you've done here is create an online video work. It's a short film, effectively, but assembled entirely from corporate video stock footage. You must have gone out of your mind watching some of that. Yeah, I nearly did. And there's so much material out there too. There's kind of like hundreds of thousands of clips. So a lot of watching involved to find the right things. Now, in terms of creating a narrative out of all of that footage, that's one of the, for me, one of the fascinating things about this work. But before we start to talk about the work itself in a little bit more detail, maybe let's step back a moment. As the the title suggests, the Light Source Commission, this is an opportunity you've been commissioned to make a work. Was there a particular brief you were given, for example, when you accepted the commission? It wasn't a brief, but the circumstances sort of meant that the work had to be made during lockdown. So that really dictated what I could could make and I suppose what a lot of the other artists could make as well. So I can make anything I like, but it had to be a digital outcome. Yeah, and made, you know, when we couldn't really leave the home very much. And in terms of then thinking about using, as I said, the, uh, the this, this corporate stock footage, which is often very, very high production values, but also very soulless. What was it about that kind of footage that kind of, I guess, caught your attention and made you think, this is where I will find my next artwork? Yeah, well, I've used it before. I made a film a year or so ago about a man who's secretly writing a novel during work hours. He works in a corporation. And so I used stock footage to create that narrative. And I think the idea came because I tried doing some filming in corporate environments, but it was really restricting because you have to get permission and and there's security guards and it just didn't work. And I also felt kind of a little bit mean about capturing people without permission and that kind of thing. So there's a problem there. And then I sort of realised, well, actually, all that material exists and way better than I can ever make and far more interesting too, because it's just like a very interesting representation of the corporate world and of marketing. And like, it's very idealistic footage and very high production values. So it could sort of achieve, you know, way beyond what I wanted to achieve. It was just a matter of really feeling it years and with content. And I guess as anybody knows who's gone looking for stock photos or stock footage, there's a lot out there and almost anything you can imagine has at some stage been shot and filmed. The stock photo classic example is, I don't know, a woman laughing with salad, for example, this (laughs) ridiculous overused image and and a variety of it. Were you daunted at all knowing just how many hours of corporate video stock footage you'd have to look at in order to find the the necessary sequences of film that you needed (laughs) it does mess with your head a little bit i have to say because it's really cold material and it's really duplicitous material as well sort of it's got a it's a it's oppressive kind of thing so i really like wanted to sort of free it from that oppressive quality but the interesting thing too is that there's all these sort of tropes within it to do with like you know, have a diverse workplace and, as you say, the woman with the salad and, I don't know, people high-fiving one another and all this stuff. But it, what's interesting is, like, the filmmakers sort of make these diversions, these creative diversions as well. So you, you can find the most bizarre things, like part of the has a big scene set in Mars, you know, and I'm just thinking, like, at what point did that freelance filmmaker think that there would be a market for these incredible scenes, like replicating planet Mars, you know? So I'm looking also for these little sort of idiosyncratic diversions that the filmmakers make, and there's quite a lot of them out there. So that sort of spices it up a bit. 
Did you have an idea for the narrative you wanted to construct before you started looking at the footage so that you were specifically looking for images that would fit with what a, 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 perhaps a rough idea you already had? Or were you much more drawing inspiration from the video material that you were watching? Um, kind of a bit of both. I knew what I wanted to explore and it was really to do with the contemporary issues we have Today, you know, to do with climate crisis and to do with politics and greed and corruption and all these awful things. So I knew that I wanted to somehow explore those topics, but the way, how, how the narrative would do that, I wasn't sure. So the footage really informs that because I collect all these um, really random things that visually appeal, appeal to me. And then I'm able to sort of make like a leap of logic from one thing to another. So like I discovered the Mars footage, I thought this is incredible footage, like it's so interesting. And then I could kind of come up with an idea that it was actually, you know, about the government sort of misleading the people and announcing this fake mission and things like that. So I think like my own sort of linear logic couldn't have arrived at that idea. It's the footage that sort of triggers like interesting segues and things like that. Now, having sat down to watch the video this morning, and you can go to buxtoncontemporary.com, you can find Radical Acts, the video online to watch. It begins as a story of scientists frustrated by government's inaction on climate change, and which is something that I suspect will resonate with many people, not just climate scientists, and very quickly diverts into some strange and surreal territory that had me at one moment laughing out loud while simultaneously wondering why this corporate stock footage had been produced in the in the first place. It's a sequence of people in a very white office playing very strange office games. Yeah, I know. Humour is important in the work, so it's obviously got some really serious and kind of... It's linked to, like, horrifying kind of content in a way to do with our the crisis we're sort of currently in with the climate crisis and looming risk all sorts of things but I suppose like the, the tactic within it is to communicate through humour and through sort of surprise and things like that so that footage created the perfect foil for that because it's really bizarre and funny in and of itself but then when it's paired with this idea of inactivity or like an implosion in the work workforce in the corporate workforce or that sort of thing then it can sort of carry the ideas as well. Now, I'm curious, did at any point, were you put off by the, what you've, you said, that kind of oppressive, the cold nature of, the, of stock footage? Because you've worked in your practice, for example, with Super 8, which is a very, I think, a very warm and personable and in some ways a, a much rawer medium for the visual image rather than these kind of cold corporate stock videos. Were you put off by that aspect of the, of the videos that you were working with or did that actually then help drive the parody-like elements of it into of where you're satirising corporate culture and then, again, taking that into the areas of government corruption and so forth? It's more, it holds the potential of it, actually, even though it's sort of, it depresses me a bit to see this material. And I sort of think of it like consumer goods, you know? It's like there's so much of it out there and it's totally empty and it's like to be consumed, you know? It's to be consumed as an ideology, you know? And so it, that's the sort of heaviness of it, but I'm using it a bit like a ventriloquist in a way, like I'm using it to say something completely different to, to its purpose. So it's like I'm, I'm, I'm working it like a puppet, you know, because it's so empty, it can be worked like a puppet. Are you also so, hoping... Yeah. Yeah. Are you hoping that by, as people watch this, it will also encourage them to think more critically, more analytically about any other corporate produced material that they watch in future? Because a lot of what corporations are telling us are lies. It's just that they're very slickly and professionally produced and we don't notice the lie. Yeah, I hope so. And 
what's been interesting is there's been so much more of this footage around because of COVID. So because we can't, you know, the filmmakers can't go out and film the news event or that kind of thing, I've been noticing on Instagram and stuff, there's a lot of storytelling through this kind of material for, you know, for environmental organisations or whatever it is. So it's kind of quite present at the moment within our culture at the moment. So, and I've lost track of your question, Richard. Uh, I guess, uh, are you hoping that when people watch Radical Acts, that knowing how you've manipulated the footage, will that encourage them to consider the ways that the corporations themselves manipulate this kind of footage in order to present the version of the world they want us to believe? I hope so. And I think, well, I think more than anything, people sort of do realise, a lot of, most people realise, but I suppose what I'm hoping more is that there is a connection to the content. Because I think it's one thing to, like, intellectually realise that, you know, we're really stuck in this awful, you know, system, this, you know, free market system that will will do us in, you know. Like, it's not, it's not that we have to get rid of it. It's going to get rid of us. So I think people intellectually sort of understand people, a lot of people. But it's like when it registers on a different level, like, and maybe creativity can play a part in this if it's an emotional one or a kind of... It stimulates something from a different perspective... I suppose I'm hoping more that shifts a little bit the way we engage with it or the way we sort of process it, or even on a subconscious level. I'm also wondering too, some people watching it, uh, once you start, the video starts going to the area of governments trying to distract the public by creating a fake Mars mission. And I love the fact that there's footage of astronauts at press conferences and so on that you've found and used. Again, who shot that footage in the first place? It's bizarre. But knowing that some people out there believe the moon landings in the 60s were faked, for example, you're now presenting the, the this subversive notion of governments faking a Mars landing to to distract us how do you think politically how do you think people will read this video in terms do you expect that some people will see a clear narrative uh, a response to conspiracy theory for example yeah it's referencing that it's referencing conspiracy theory but it's also referencing the things that are happening you know right under our nose you know which is basically to do with the government distracting us from the truth you know the truth of this climate crisis and the truth of the corruption involved in in making it worse like rather than making it better, the government's making it work through their decision making and the corporate lobby groups. So I suppose I'm hoping that it references both things, kind of paranoid thinking, fantasy and, and, and rhetoric and propaganda as well. So it's kind of referencing all of those things. Radical Acts by Larissa Kostoloff is available to watch online now. If you go to buxtoncontemporary.com and just on the What's On link at the top of the page, click on Light Source Commissions and you'll find that as well as the first video in the series by artist Stuart Ringholt. And as I said, Radical Acts has been constructed entirely from corporate stock footage video floating out there on the internet and edited together in the most delightful but significantly profound way. At the same time, I definitely recommend people jump online and watch. Larissa Kostloff, thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R and congratulations on Radical Acts. Thanks very much, Richard. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews, and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 